0: We are on chapter 11, Quidditch. As they entered November, the weather turned very cold. The mountains around the school became icy gray, and the lake like chilled steel. Every morning the ground was covered in frost. Hagrid could be seen from the upstairs window defrosting broomsticks on the Quidditch field bundled up in a long, moleskin overcoat, rabbit fur gloves, and enormous beaver-skin boots. The Quidditch season had begun. On Saturday, Harry would be playing in his first match after weeks of training, Gryffindor versus Lytherin. If Gryffindor won, they would move up into second place in the House Championship. Hardly anyone had seen Harry play, because Wood had decided that, as their secret weapon, Harry should be kept, well, secret. But the news that he was playing seeker had leaked out somehow, and Harry didn't know which was worse. People telling him he'd be brilliant, or people telling him they'd be running underneath him holding a mattress. It was really lucky that Harry now had Hermione as a friend. He didn't know how he'd have gotten through all his homework without her, what with all the last-minute Quidditch practice Wood was making them do. She had also lent him Quidditch through the ages, which turned out to be a very interesting read. Harry learned that there were 700 ways of committing a Quidditch foul, and that all of them had happened during the World Cup match in 1473, that seekers were usually the smallest and fastest players, and that most serious Quidditch accidents seemed to happen to them, that although people rarely died playing Quidditch, referees had been known to vanish and turn up months later in the Sahara Desert. Hermione had become a bit more relaxed about breaking rules since Harry and Ron had saved her from the mountain troll and she was much nicer for it. The day before Harry's first Quidditch match, the three of them were out in the freezing courtyard during break and she had conjured them up a bright blue fire that could be carried around in a jam jar. They were standing with their backs to it getting warm when Snape crossed the yard. Harry noticed at once that Snape was limping. Harry, Ron, and Hermione moved closer together to block the fire from view. They were sure it wouldn't be allowed. Unfortunately, something about their guilty faces caught Snape's eye. He limped over. He hadn't seen the fire, but he seemed to be looking for a reason to tell them off anyway. What's that you've got there, Potter? It was Quidditch through the ages. Harry showed him. Library books are not to be taken outside the school, said Snape. Give it to me. Five points from Gryffindor!' "'He just made that roll up,' Harry muttered angrily, as Snape limped away. "'Wonder what's wrong with his leg?' "'Dunno, but I hope it's really hurting him,' said Ron bitterly. The Gryffindor common room was very noisy that evening. Harry, Ron, and Hermione sat together next to a window. Hermione was checking Harry and Ron's charms homework for them. She would never let them copy. "'How will you learn?' but by asking her to read it through, they got the right answers anyway. Harry felt restless. He wanted Quidditch through the ages back to take his mind off his nerves about tomorrow. Why should he be afraid of Snape? Getting up, he told Ron and Hermione he was going to ask Snape if he could have it. Better you than me, they said together. But Harry had an idea that Snape wouldn't refuse if there were other teachers listening. He made his way down to the staff room and knocked there was no answer. He knocked again. Nothing. Perhaps Snape had left the d- book in there. It was worth a try. He pushed the drawer ajar and peered inside, and a horrible scene met his eyes. Snape and Filch were inside, alone. Snape was holding his robes above his knees. One of his legs was bloody and mangled. Filch was handing Snape bandages blasted thing Snape was saying. How are you supposed to keep your eye on all three heads at once? Harry tried to shut the door quietly, but... Potter? Snape's face was twisted with fury as he dropped his robes quickly to hide his legs. Harry gulped. I just wondered if I could have my book back. Get Out! Out! Harry left before Snape could take any more points from Gryffindor. He sprinted back upstairs. Did you get it? Ron asked as Harry joined them. What's the matter? In a low whisper, Harry told him what he'd seen. You know what this means, he finished breathlessly. He tried to get past that three-headed dog at Halloween. That's where he was going when we saw him. He's after whatever it's guarding. I bet my broomstick he let that troll in to make a diversion. Hermione's eyes were wide. No, he wouldn't, she said. I know he's not very nice, but he wouldn't try to steal something Dumbledore was keeping safe. Honestly, Hermione, you think all teachers are saints or something, snapped her on. I'm with Harry. I wouldn't put anything past Snape. But what's he after? what's that dog guarding? Harry went to bed with his head buzzing with the same question. Neville was snoring loudly, but Harry couldn't sleep. He tried to empty his mind. He needed to sleep. He had to. He had his first Quidditch match in a few hours. But the expression on Snape's face when Harry had seen his leg wasn't easy to forget. The next morning dawned. Very bright and cold. The great hall was full of the delicious smell of fried sausages and the cheerful chatter of everyone looking forward to a good Quidditch match. You've got to eat some breakfast. I don't want anything. Just a bit of toast, wheedled Hermione. I'm not hungry. Harry felt terrible. In an hour's time, he'd be walking out into the field. Harry, you need your strength, said Seamus Finnegan. Seekers are always the ones that get clobbered by the other team. Thanks, Seamus, said Harry, watching Seamus pile ketchup on his sausages. By 11 o'clock, the whole school seemed to be out in the stands around the Quidditch pitch. Many students had binoculars. The seats might be raised high in the air, but it was still difficult to see what was going on sometimes. Sometimes. Ron and Hermione joined Neville, Seamus, and Dean, the West Ham fan, up in the top row. As a surprise for Harry, they had painted a large banner on one of the sheets Scabbers had ruined. It said, Potter for President! And Dean, who was good at drawing, had done a large Gryffindor lion underneath. Then, Hermione had performed a tricky little charm so that the paint flashed different colors. Meanwhile, in the locker room, Harry and the rest of the team were changing into their scarlet Quidditch robes. Slytherin would would be playing in green. Wood cleared his throat for silence. Okay, men, he said. And woman, said chaser Angelina Johnson. And woman, Wood agreed. This is it. The big one, said Fred Weasley. The one we've all been waiting for, said George. We know Oliver's speech by heart, Fred told Harry. We were on the team last year. Shut up, you two, said Wood. This is the best team Gryffindors had in years. We're going to win, I know it, he glared at them all as if to say, or else. Right, it's time. Good luck, all of you. Harry followed Fred and George out of the locker room and, hoping his knees weren't going to give way, walked onto the field to loud cheers. Madame Hooch was refereeing. She stood in the middle of the field waiting for the two teams, her broom in her hand. Now, I want a nice fair game, all of you, she said, once they were all gathered round her. Harry noticed that she seemed to be speaking particularly to the Slytherin captain, Marcus Flint, the sixth year. Harry thought Flint looked as if he had some troll blood in him. Out of the corner of his eyes, he saw the fluttering banner high above, flashing Potter for President over the crowd. His heart skipped. He felt braver. Mount your brooms, please. Harry clambered onto his Nimbus 2000. Madame Hooch gave a loud blast on her silver whistle. Fifteen brooms rose up, high, high in the air. They were off. And the quaffle is taken immediately by Angelina Johnson of Gryffindor. What an excellent chaser that girl is, and rather attractive, too. Jordan! Sorry, Professor. The Weasley twins' friend, Lee Jordan, was doing the commentary for the match, closely watched by Professor McGonagall. And she's really belting along up there. A neat pass to Alicia Spinnet, a good friend of Oliver Wood's, last year only a reserve, back to Johnson, and nope, the Slytherins have taken the quaffle. Slytherin Captain Marcus Flint gains the Quaffle, and off he goes. Flint, flying like an eagle up there. He's going to scu- No! Stopped by an excellent move by Keeper Wood, and the Gryffindors take the Quaffle. That's Chaser Katie Bell of Gryffindor out there. Nice dive around Flint. Up, off the field, and- Ouch! That must have hurt. Hit in the back of the head by a bludger. Quaffle, taken by the Slytherins. That's Adrian Pusey speeding off towards the goalposts. But he's blocked by a second bludger, sent his way by Fred or George Weasley. Can't tell which. Nice play by the Gryffindor beater anyway. And Johnson, back in possession of the quaffle, a clear field ahead of her, and off she goes. She's really flying. Dodges a speeding bludger. The goalposts are ahead. Come on now, Angelina. Keeper Bletchley dives. Mrs. Gryffindor scores! Gryffindor cheers filled the cold air with howls and moans from the Slytherins. Budge up there. Move along. Hagrid! Ron and Hermione squeezed together to give Hagrid enough space to join them. Been watching from me hunt, said Hagrid, patting a large pair of binoculars around his neck. But it ain't the same as being in the crowd. No sign of the snitch yet, eh? Nope, said Ron. Harry hasn't had much to do yet. Kept out of trouble, though. That's something, said Hagrid, raising his binoculars and peering skyward at the speck that was Harry. Way up above them, Harry was gliding over the game, squinting about for some sign of the snitch. This was part of his and Wood's game plan. Keep out of the way until you catch sight of the snitch, Wood said. We don't want to have you attacked before you have to be. When Angelina had scored, Harry had done a couple of loop-the-loops to let off his feelings and now he was back to staring around for the snitch. Once, he got sight of a flash of gold, but it was just a reflection from one of the Weasleys' wristwatches. And once, a bludger decided to come pelting his way, more like a cannonball than anything. But Harry dodged it, and Fred Weasley came chasing after. All right there, Harry, he had time to yell, as he beat the bludger furiously towards Marcus Flint. Slytherin in possession, Lee Jordan was saying. Chaser, pusey. Ducks two bludgers, two Weasleys, and a chaser bell, and he speeds towards the wait a moment. Was that the snitch? A murmur ran through the crowd as Adrian Poosey dropped the quaffle, too busy looking over his shoulder at the flash of gold that had passed his left ear. Harry saw it. In a great rush of excitement, he dived downward after the streak of gold. Slither and seeker Terence Higgs had seen it too. Neck and neck they hurtled toward the snitch. All chasers seemed to have forgotten what they were supposed to be doing as they hung in midair to watch. Harry was faster than Higgs. He could see the little round ball, wings flattering, darting up ahead. He put on an extra spurt of speed. Wham! A roar of rage echoed from the Gryffindors below. Marcus Flint had blocked Harry on purpose, and Harry's broom had spun off course. Harry was holding on for dear life. Foul! screamed the Gryffindors. Madden Hooch spoke angrily to Flint and ordered a free shot at the goalposts for Gryffindor. But in all the confusion, of course, the golden snitch had disappeared from sight again. Down in the stands, Dean Thomas was yelling, "'Send him off, ref! Red card!' "'What are you talking about, Dean?' said Ron. "'Red card!' said Dean furiously. "'In soccer, you get shown the red card and you're out of the game.' "'But this isn't soccer, Dean.' Ron reminded him. Haggard, however, was on Dean's side. They ought to change the rules. Flick could have knocked Harry out of the air. Lee Jordan was finding it difficult not to take sides. So, after that obvious and disgusting bit of cheating, Jordan, growled Professor McGonagall, I mean, after that open and revolting foul, Jordan, I'm warning you. All right, all right. Flint nearly kills the Gryffindor seeker, which could happen to anyone, I'm sure. So penalty to Gryffindor, taken by Spinnet, who puts it away, no trouble. And we continue play, Gryffindor still in possession. It was as Harry dodged another bludger, which went spinning dangerously past his head, that it happened. His broom gave a sudden, frightening lurch. For a split second, he thought he was going to fall. He gripped the broom tightly with both his hands and knees, He'd never felt anything like that. It happened again. It was as though the broom was trying to buck him off. But Nimbus 2000s did not suddenly decide to buck off their riders. Harry tried to turn back toward the Gryffindor goalposts. He had half a mind to ask Wood to call time out. And then he realized his broom was completely out of his control. He couldn't turn it. He couldn't direct it at all. It was zigzagging through the air and every now and then making violent, swishing movements that almost unseated him. Lee was still commentating. Slytherin in possession. Flint with a quaffle. Passes to spin it. Passes bell. Hit hard in the face by a bludger. Hope it hurt, broke his nose. Only joking, Professor. Slytherin score. Oh, no! The Slytherins were cheering. No one seemed to have noticed that Harry's broom was behaving strangely. It was carrying him slowly higher, away from the game jerking and twitching as it went. Don't know what Harry thinks he's doing, Hagrid mumbled. He stared through his binoculars. If I had no better, I'd say he'd lost control of his broom. But he can't have. Suddenly, people were pointing up at Harry all over the stands. His broom had started to roll over and over, with him just managing to hold on. Then the whole crowd gasped. Harry's broom had given a wild jerk and Harry had swung off it. He was now dangling from it, holding on with only one hand. Did something happen to it when Flint blocked him? Seamus whispered. Can't have, Hagrid said, his voice shaking. Can't nothing interfere with a broomstick except powerful dark magic. No kid could do that to a Nimbus 2000. At these words, Hermione seized Hagrid's binoculars. But instead of looking up at Harry, she started looking frantically at the crowd. What are you doing? moaned Ron, gray-faced. I knew it, Hermione gasped. Snape, look. Ron grabbed the binoculars. Snape was in the middle of the stands opposite them. He had his eyes fixed on Harry and was muttering non-stop under his breath. He's doing something. Jinxing the broom, said Hermione. What should we do? Leave it to me. Before Ron could say another word, Hermione had disappeared. Ron turned the binoculars back on Harry. His broom was vibrating so hard it was almost impossible for him to hang on much longer. The whole crowd was on its feet, watching, terrified, as the Weasleys flew up and tried to pull Harry safely onto one of their brooms. But it was no good. Every time they got near him, the broom would jump, higher still. They dropped lower and circled beneath him obviously hoping to catch him if he fell. Marcus Flint seized the quaffle and scored five times without anyone noticing. Come on, Hermione, Ron muttered desperately. Hermione had fought her way across to the stand where Snape stood and was now racing along the row behind him. She didn't even stop to say sorry as she knocked Professor Quirrell headfirst into the row in front. Reaching Snape, she crouched down pulled out her wand and whispered a few well-chosen words. Bright blue flames shot from her wand and onto the hem of Snape's robes. It took perhaps thirty seconds for Snape to realize that he was on fire. A sudden yelp told her she had done her job. Scooping the fire off him into a little jar in her pocket, she scrambled back along the row. Snape would never know what had happened. It was enough. Up in the air, Harry was suddenly able to clamber back onto his broom. Neville, you can look, Ron said. Neville had been sobbing into Hagrid's jacket for the last five minutes. Harry was speeding toward the ground when the crowd saw him clap his hand to his mouth as though he was going to be sick. He hit the field on all fours, coughed, and something gold fell into his hand. I've got the snitch, he shouted, waving it above his head. And the game ended in complete confusion. He didn't catch it. He nearly swallowed it was still howling 20 minutes later but it made no difference harry hadn't broken any rules and lee jordan was still happily shouting the results gryffindor had won by 170 points to 60. harry heard none of this though he was being made a cup of strong tea back in haggard's hut with ron and hermione it was snape ron was explaining hermione and i saw him he was cursing your broomstick muttering he wouldn't take his eyes off you. Rubbish, said Hagrid, who hadn't heard a word of what had gone on next to him in the stands. Why would Snape do something like that? Harry, Ron, and Hermione looked at one another, wondering what to tell him. Harry decided on the truth. I found out something about him, he told Hagrid. He tried to get past the three-headed dog on Halloween. It bit him, we think he was trying to steal whatever it's guarding. Haggard dropped the teapot. How do you know about Fluffy? He said. Okay. Fluffy? Yeah, he's mine. Bought him off a Greek chappie I met in the pub last year. I lent him and Dumbledore to guard the... Yes, said Harry eagerly. Now, don't ask me any more, said Haggard gruffly. That's top secret, that is. But Snape's trying to steal it. Rubbish, said Hagrid again. Snape's a Hogwarts teacher. He'd do nothing of the sort. So why did he just try and kill Harry, cried Hermione. The afternoon's events certainly seemed to have changed her mind about Snape. I know a jinx when I see one, Hagrid. I've read all about them. You've got to keep eye contact, and Snape wasn't blinking at all. I saw him. I'm telling you, you're wrong, said Hagrid hotly. I don't know why Harry's broom acted like that. But Snape wouldn't try and kill a student. Now listen to me, all three of you. You're meddling in things that don't concern you. It's dangerous. You forget that dog and you forget what it's guarding. That's between Professor Dumbledore and Nicholas Flamel. Aha, said Harry. So there's somebody called Nicholas Flamel involved, is there? Hagrid looked furious with himself. Chapter 12 The Mare of Rest. Christmas was coming. One morning in mid-December, Hogwarts woke to find itself covered in several feet of snow. The lake froze solid, and the Weasley twins were punished for bewitching several snowballs so that they followed Quirrell around, bouncing off the back of his turban. The few owls that managed to battle their way through the stormy sky to deliver mail had to be nursed back to health by Hagrid before they could fly off again. No one could wait for the holidays to start. While the Gryffindor common room in the Great Hall had roaring fires, the drafty corridors had become icy, and a bitter wind rattled the windows in the classrooms. Worst of all were Professor Snape's classes down in the dungeons, where their breath rose in a mist before them, and they kept as close as possible to their hot cauldrons. "'I do feel so sorry,' said Draco Malfoy, one potions class, "'for all those people who have to stay at Hogwarts for Christmas "'because they're not wanted at home.' "'He was looking over at Harry as he spoke. "'Crabbe and Goyle chuckled. "'Harry, who was measuring out powdered spine of lionfish, ignored them. "'Malfoy had been even more unpleasant than usual since the last Quidditch match. "'Disgusted that the Slytherins had lost, he had tried to get everyone laughing at how wide-mouthed tree frog would be replacing Harry as seeker next. Then he realized that nobody found this funny because they were all so impressed at the way Harry had managed to stay on his fucking broomstick. So Malfoy, jealous and angry, had gone back to taunting Harry about having no proper family. It was true. Harry wasn't going back to Privet Dive for Christmas. Professor McGonagall had come around the week before, making a list of students who'd be staying for the holidays. And Harry had signed up at once. He didn't feel sorry for himself at all. This would probably be the best Christmas he'd ever had. Ron and his brothers were staying too, because Mr. and Mrs. Weasley were going to Romania to visit Charlie. When they left the dungeons at the ends of potions, they found a large fir tree blocking the corridor ahead. Two enormous feet sticking out at the bottom, and a loud puffing sound told them Hagrid was behind it. Hi, Hagrid. Want any help? Ron asked, sticking his head through the branches. Nah, I'm all right. Thanks, Ron. Would you mind moving out of the way? Came Malfoy's cold drawl from behind them. You trying to earn some extra money, Weasley? Hoping to be gamekeeper yourself when you leave Hogwarts, I suppose. That hut of Hagrid's must seem like a palace compared to what your family's used to. Ron dived at Malfoy, just as Snape came up the stairs. "'Weasley!' Ron let go of the front of Malfoy's robes. "'He was provoked, Professor Snape,' said Hagrid, sticking his huge, hairy face out from behind the tree. "'Malfoy was insulting his family.' "'Be that as it may, fighting is against Hogwarts rules, Hagrid,' said Snape, silkily. Five points from Gryffindor, Weasley, and be grateful it isn't more.' move along, all of you. Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle pushed roughly past the tree, scattering needles everywhere and smirking. I'll get him, said Ron, grinding his teeth at Malfoy's back. One of these days, I'll get him. I hate them both, said Harry, Malfoy and Snape. Come on, cheer up. It's almost Christmas, said Hagrid. Tell you what, come with me and see the great hall. Looks a treat. So the three of them followed Hagrid and his tree off to the great hall, where Professor McGonagall and Professor Flitwick were busy with the Christmas decorations. Ah, Hagrid, the last tree. Put it in the far corner, won't you? The hall looked spectacular. The of holly and mistletoe hung all around the walls, and no less than 12 towering Christmas trees stood around the room, some sparkling with tiny icicles, some glittering with hundreds of candles. "'How many days you got left till your holidays?' Haggard asked. "'Just one,' said Hermione. "'And that reminds me. Harry, Ron, we've got half an hour before lunch. We should be in the library.' "'Oh yeah, you're right,' said Ron, tearing his eyes away from Professor Flitwick, who had golden bubbles blossoming out of his wand and was trailing them over the branches of the new tree." library, said Hagrid, following them out the hall. Just before the holidays. bit keen, aren't you? Oh, we're not working, Harry told him brightly. Ever since you mentioned Nicholas Flamel, we've been trying to find out who he is. You what? Hagrid looked shocked. Listen here. I told you, drop it. It's nothing to you with that dog's garden. We just want to know who Nicholas Flamel is. That's all said Hermione. Unless you'd like to tell us and save us the trouble, Harry added. We must have been through hundreds of books already. and We can't find him anywhere. Just give us a hint. I know I've read his name somewhere. I'm saying nothing, said Hagrid flatly. Just to have to find out for ourselves then, said Ron. And they left Hagrid looking disgruntled and hurried off to the library they had indeed been searching books for Flamel's name ever since Hagrid had let it slip. Because how else were they going to try to find out what Snape was trying to steal? The trouble was, it was very hard to know where to begin, not knowing what Flamel might have done to get himself into a book. He wasn't in Great Wizards of the 20th Century or notable magical names of our time. He was missing, too, from important modern magical discoveries and a study of recent developments in wizardry. And then, of course, there was the sheer size of the library. Tens of thousands of books, thousands of shelves, hundreds of narrow rows. Hermione took out a list of subjects and titles she had decided to search, while Ron strode off down a row of books and started pulling them off the shelves at random. Harry wandered over to the restricted section. He had been wondering for a while if Flamel wasn't somewhere in there. Unfortunately, You needed a specially signed note from one of the teachers to look in any of the restricted books. He knew he'd never get one. These were the books containing powerful, dark magic, never taught at Hogwarts, and only read by older students studying advanced defense against the dark arts. What are you looking for, boy? Nothing, said Harry. Madame Pince, the librarian, brandished a feather duster at him. You'd better get out, then. Go on. Out. Out wishing he'd been a bit quicker at thinking up some story. Harry left the library. He, Ron, and Hermione had already agreed they would better not ask Madame Pince where they could find Flamel. They were sure she'd be able to tell them, but they couldn't risk Snape hearing what they were up to. Harry waited outside in the corridor to see if the other two had found anything. But he wasn't very hopeful. They had been looking for two weeks after all. But as they only had odd moments between lessons, it wasn't surprising they'd found nothing. What they really needed was a nice, long search, without Madame Pince breathing down their necks. Five minutes later, Ron and Hermione joined him, shaking their heads, and they went off to lunch. "'You will keep looking while I'm away, won't you?' said Hermione. "'And send me an owl if you find anything.' "'And you could ask your parents if they know who Flamel is,' said Ron." It'd be safe to ask them. Very safe. They're both dentists, said Hermione. Once the holidays had started, Ron and Harry were having too good of a time to think much about Flamel. They had the dormitory to themselves, and the common room was far emptier than usual, so they were able to get the good armchairs by the fire. They sat by the hour, eating anything they could spear on a toasting fork—bread, English muffins, marshmallows— plotting ways to get Malfoy expelled, which were fun to talk about, even if they wouldn't work. Ron also started teaching Harry wizard chess. This was exactly like muzzle chess, muggle chess, except the figures were alive, which made it a lot like directing troops in battle. Ron's set was very old and battered. Like everything else he owned, it had once belonged to someone else in his family. In this case, his grandfather. However, Old chessmen weren't a drawback at all. Ron knew them so well, he never had trouble getting them to do what he wanted. Harry played with chessmen Seamus Finnegan had lent him, and they didn't trust him at all. He wasn't a very good player yet, and they kept shouting different bits of advice at him, which was confusing. Don't send me there! Can't you see his knight? Send him! We can afford to lose him! On Christmas Eve, Harry went to bed, looking forward to the next day for the food and the fun, but not expecting any presents at all. When he woke early in the morning, however, the first thing he saw was a small pile of packages at the foot of his bed. Merry Christmas, said Ron sleepily, as Harry scrambled out of bed and put on his bathroom. You too, said Harry. Will you look at this? I've got presents. What did you expect? Turnips? said Ron, turning to his own pile, which was a lot bigger than Harry's. Harry picked up the top parcel. It was wrapped in thick brown paper, and scrawled across it was, To Harry, from Hagrid. Inside was a roughly cut wooden flute. Hagrid had obviously whittled it himself. Harry blew it. It sounded a bit like an owl. A second very small parcel contained a note. We received your message and enclosed your Christmas present. From Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia. Taped to the note was a fifty pence piece. That's friendly, said Harry. Ron was fascinated by the fifty pence. Weird he said. What a shape. This is money You can keep it, said Harry, laughing at how pleased Ron was. Hagrid and my aunt and uncle, so who sent these? I think I know what that one's from, said Ron turning a bit pink and pointing to a very lumpy parcel. My mom. I told her you didn't expect any presents and... Oh no, he groaned. She's made you a Weasley sweater. Harry had torn open the parcel to find a thick, hand-knitted sweater in emerald green and a large box of homemade fudge. Every year she makes us a sweater, said Ron, unwrapping his own. And mine's always maroon that's really nice of her said harry trying the fudge which was very tasty his next present also contained candy a large box of chocolate frogs from hermione this left only one parcel harry picked it up and felt it it was very light he unwrapped it something fluid in silvery gray went slithering to the floor where it lay in gleaming folds. Ron gasped. I've heard of those, he said in a hushed voice, dropping the box of every flavor beans he'd gotten from Hermione. If that's what I think it is, they're really rare and really valuable. What is it? Harry picked the shining, silvery cloth off the floor. It was strange to the touch, like water woven into material. It's an invisibility cloak, said Ron, a look of awe on his face. I'm sure it is. Try it on. Harry threw the cloak around his shoulders and Ron gave a yell. It is. Look down. Harry looked down at his feet. They were gone. He dashed to the mirror. Sure enough, his reflection looked back at him, just his head suspended in midair, his body completely invisible. He pulled the cloak over his head, and his reflection vanished completely. There's a note, said Ron suddenly. A note fell out of it. Harry pulled off the cloak and seized the letter written in narrow, loopy writing he had never seen before, were the following words. Your father left this in my possession before he died. It is time it was returned to you. Use it well. A very Merry Christmas to you. There was no signature. Harry stared at the note. Ron was admiring the cloak. I'd give anything for one of these, he said. Anything? what's the matter? Nothing, said Harry. He felt very strange. Who had sent the cloak? Had it really belonged to his father? Before he could think or say anything else, the dormitory door was flung open and Fred and George Weasley bounded in. Harry stuffed the cloak quickly out of sight. He didn't feel like sharing it with anyone else yet. Merry Christmas, hey look, Harry's got a Weasley sweater too. Fred and George were wearing blue sweaters, one with a large yellow F on it, the other a G. Harry's better than ours though, said Fred, holding up Harry's sweater. She obviously makes more of an effort if you're not family. Why aren't you wearing yours, Ron? George demanded. Come on, get it on. They're lovely and warm. I hate maroon, Ron moaned half-heartedly as he pulled it over his head. You haven't got a letter on yours, George observed. I suppose she thinks you don't forget your name. But we're stupid. We're not stupid. We know we're called and Forge. What's all this noise? Percy Weasley stuck his head through the room, through the door, looking disapproving. He had clearly gotten halfway through unwrapping his presence as he, too, carried a lumpy sweater over his arm, which Fred seized. P is for prefect. Get it on, Percy, come on. We're all wearing ours. Even Harry got one. I don't want, said Percy thickly as the twins forced the sweater over his head, knocking his glasses askew. And you're not sitting with a prefix today either, said George. Christmas is a time for family. They frog-marched Percy from the room, his arms pinned to his side by his sweater.